Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and I've been told I'm about as useful as a stealth submarine in a land war. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I know for a fact that Jay has seen Godzilla Final Wars, so you should know how useful submarines in land wars can actually be. <gasps> that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian Dawes, and I'm about as useful as Calvin in a thunderstorm. I'm Ashley Barrow, and um, so we said, well, I said that when Feather finally got a card, I was going to be popping bottles on the show. Well, it turns out I don't have any bottles to pop, so I'm going to now pop some hard seltzer in honor of this week's spoilers. It just popped. There you go. It's not that great. <laughs> oh, sorry. I had you guys muted. I wanted the Pax East experience. Um, that's all. That was the joke. That was the joke <laughs> that didn't land. <laughs> it was a good effort. Solid effort, Thank you. There, Carrie. So, in news for this week, let's get through this real quick because we have a ton of flavorful cards to talk about this week. The official Magic YouTube released a very good lore summary video that gets you caught up on Nicol Bolas's history with the Mending and Losing Godhood. And the story from Kaladesh to now and his plot. I really liked it. It was good production values. It's the kind of thing I definitely want to see on a regular basis. Uh, but we'll see going forward. Yeah, it was awesome. I know Trick Jarrett worked on that. Shout out to Trick for being awesome and for making that video happen. And um, narrated by Graham from Loading Ready Run, who it's really funny to listen to him talk in like a in a structured way where he isn't making <laughs> jokes <laughs> like he sounds like a regular person <laughs> and not an internet personality <laughs> but he, he did a very good job too and and uh, pronounced all the fantasy words right unlike everyone on this podcast yeah we're really bad at that <laughs> like we, we we rail on jay for it but honestly we are all terrible i'm just the terriblest yes i should note not to plug myself too much, but I released an updated lore summary article that covers everything from Alara to War of the Spark. Technically, Agents of Artifice to War of the Spark, but it's essentially the same thing arrow-wise. So it is a brief summary, as brief as 4,000 words can be, of essentially the entire post-mending story. So if you're interested, go over to Cool Stuff Inc., look for my latest article, and you can check it out. This is a friendly PSA that Liliana, Jace, Vraska are all confirmed for War of the Spark Forsaken, which is the second novel that comes out after the War of the Spark novel. And it's a little exhausting to see people speculate that Liliana will die when she's confirmed for the second novel. Gosh, spoilers, Carrie. Just a reminder that like Teo, Liliana, Jace... Vraska, Chandra, Ajani, Tybalt aren't going to die. They're not under normal circumstances. They are all in sequel materials. Those were all confirmed at the story panel that I was on way back at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. So yeah, just a heads up. So let's move on to our next feature 
flavored gems of War of the Spark, Act 2. So quick reminder, we record Thursday evenings, so anything that's previewed after essentially 7pm on Thursday, that's going to get caught up in our next, uh, our next episode. So, we got our five Act 2 spotlights. I'm assuming it's five per act, because there were five last time, and I think it's we had five again. Oh, no, wait, we only have four, and then we have one card from the Gideon Planeswalker deck that looks like a story spotlight. The first one is Rally of Wings, which is, depicts essentially just uh, angels deploying from the Parhelion, or the Parhelion 2, to meet the incoming Eternal Horde. So the Eternals we've seen have Avon, they have Drakes, they have Dragons, and so essentially uh, the Parhelion is the Boros Rapid Response Fortress, and it has arrived on scene and has deployed to meet this incoming threat. Oh no, I thought we'd gotten rid of Glorybringer. No. (laughs) I want to see this in the novel. That is all I will say, because I would like to see an air battle between Parhelion and Angels versus just flying zombies. Like, that's going to be entertaining. Seeing any kind of air battle in Magic is fun, and we don't really get that outside of skyships. I'm so excited for Parhelion 2, because it's a flying brick. It is gorgeous. (laughs) Technically a flying anvil. Brick is funnier. So the next story spotlight is the Awakening of V2 Gazi, and this this card is it's perfect. It, it's sweet um, because the flavor text says the Eternal Armies advance on V2 Gazi at Nissa's command. V2 Gazi advanced on them. I love the fact that V2 Gazi is rising up and coming to fight. My only regret is that, or not regret, but my only down part of this is that. It wasn't like Tristani or Imara who mobilized it. It had to be Nyssa. Just like, eh, I've never been the hugest Nyssa fan, but you know, even if even if she is an elf, but I love that V two Gazi's rising up and is now part of a giant kaiju battle in the middle of Ravnica. <laughs> Seeing it knock down the statue is freaking sweet, and like, I just I would love like. This is one of those I would I wish they could animate this or have some kind of movie for this set because this is one of the scenes that I would love to see. Oh, Vidugazi. <laughs> so good. I love that the card is literally the awaken mechanic because it's Nissa doing the thing. Um her planeswalker card basically does the awaken mechanic too. They've done a lot of not named but mechanical throwbacks to mechanics to two keywords in this set and seeing them play with characters in that way to have them do the things from other sets that they're known for is awesome makes me wish that noyandar was part green because he'd be a sweet commander but or he'd be a better commander he's already pretty nice but i was gonna say why don't you make this your commander but i think we explored that option this past week We have the next story spotlight, which is Enter the God Eternals. It is the surprise-ish. We had seen the God Eternals on the marketing materials for this set, and now we actually get to see them waltzing onto Ravnica, apparently following 
quite a bit of fighting with just the regular Eternal soldiers. Um, and we, so far we have got Eternal Bantu and Ronas spoiled. We're expecting Oketra and Kefnet within the end of the week. There's not much else to it. I can't imagine that people on Ravnica have context for who any of these people are. Not any more context than they have than the Eternals, but <laughs> they don't know their gods. We didn't really get to see these gods. I think we saw one of the gods getting embalmed. Is that correct? I think Oketra gets dragged away or something. The anointed start embalming her the moment she is killed by the Scorpion God in the Hour of Devastation story. And it's a detail that people noticed and thought, oh, that's weird. And nobody remembered. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, if they would have been able to. (laughs) It's a really neat throw forward. And I'm excited to talk about this whole story when it's done because there are more things like that absolutely then the only other future-ish story spotlight that we have is a card that was spoiled from gideon's planeswalker deck on weekly mtg and it is desperate lunge and it features gideon swinging his black blade pretty high up in the air against balasa's face I don't think this is the end of it. Am I right? No, they they gave away the ending in a random reveal in the Gideon Planeswalker deck. That's it, everyone. Pack it up. Let's go home. Okay. (laughs) Good place to end the cast. Yeah, based on the trailer placement of Gideon being on the bridge when assumingly ramping up to the final confrontation with Liliana, unless that happens, or unless this scene happens after that scene, which would be quite the comeback after he got stabbed like a billion times by Eternals. I don't think this is gonna be it. Yeah. So that does it for the story spotlights. Let's talk about the planeswalkers that we got this week, at least the ones of interest. We're gonna start with Kazmina, Enigmatic Mentor, who is the last of the new characters that are introduced in this set. So we had uh, Teo and then the Wanderer last week, and uh, finally Kazmina is out. She is very mysterious, and very little has been said about her publicly right now, so there's not really much else for me to say other than she's kind of a wizard teacher trope-ish. I hope we get to learn more because there are some very cool things about her that I would like to be able to talk about, and... Hopefully will be revealed shortly. Maybe even by the time this podcast is actually published. But uh, she's neat. And her uh, her key spell is Kazmina's Transmutation, which is a polymorphing spell that turns a creature into a 1-1, but the art shows her turning an Eternal into a frog and then her quipping at it. And people have noted that because of the way the Eternal's faces look, the card is illustrated in such a way that the frog's chin has all these stripes on it. So everyone has called it Thanos Frog. So, perfect. <laughs> like, absolute marketing genius tied into Endgame. Like, official Marvel sponsorship, great. It's not real, but we can believe. <laughs> we also got Ral Storm's Conduit, which first of all is an amazing card, but we're a Vorthos cast. So what I want to talk about are the reveals that came along with Ral, which was Ral's Artburst and Bolt Bend. Ral's Artburst? 
<laughs> outburst. Ral's outburst. <laughs> uh, so Ral's outburst, in case you haven't figured it out yet, Ral is not working with Nicol Bolas by War of the Spark. And Bolt Bend was actually our first gl- official glimpse at one of the God Eternals, that is God Eternal Kefnet, where Ral has a massive lightning storm and he is directing it at the Flying God. And we all know flying types are weak against electricity. <laughs> well played, Jay. Well played. I do love that Rouse Outburst is a mini prophetic bolt because the dual decks is it versus Golgari printing of prophetic bolt is the very first piece of printed art we ever had with Rouse Eric on it. That came out shortly before the um, Ravnica return or return to Ravnica block. So it, it, it's this cute little mechanical nod to Ral's first appearance in the actual paper game. Next up, we have Dovin, Hand of Control. And let me tell you, that Hand of Control has six fingers. And don't you doubt it. Um, there's nothing really outstanding about this card. Specifically, I think a lot of people notice that it kind of fed into being titled Hand of Control and feeding into Control decks. We had seen Dovin's Veto previously, which is his signature spell in the set. I don't know why people got so upset about the five and six finger thing, though. A tip if you are looking to talk about art on a new magic card. If the only version of it you have is a very small resolution image of the card, maybe wait until a higher res version of the art itself is uploaded somewhere before you talk about (laughs) that piece. What a concept. Like, come on, people. Use a little bit of sense here. And don't harass Mark Rosewater personally over you thinking it has five fingers, because I think that's that's the real lesson here. But related to Dovin, actually, is Chandra Fire Artisan. And... New Planeswalker card for Chandra, but it also came with the card Chandra's Triumph, which is Binding Dovin in Flames, which was another clarification we had to get. She uses Fire Spin. She uses Fire Spin, yes. <laughs> wow. All in on the Pokemon reference, and I'm here for it. Um, not to one-up <laughs> Jay, but she could also be using Magma Storm, Heatran's signature attack, which also traps the foe. One thing I want to point out, um, not just about this Chandra card, but something to notice about all her cards, is um, she's really small. She's probably about the size of Gideon's arm. We never see her standing next to people because she's insecure about (laughs) it. I think the most entertaining thing that has come out of these Triumph cards is the mirroring. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, it's a little, it's a little too (laughs) meme-y. to retweet or repost but they're pretty good faces to have um, mirrored in their defense i will say i love the mirroring with the defeats we've got a cycle of defeats and then we've got a cycle of triumphs which is which is nice just like real life real brief rant about the triumph cards because i i think the art direction and the composition for them is just awful like they look creepy instead of triumphant gideon looks evil 
the half face thing is really uncanny. Um, I, I don't know why this direction was picked, and, and I think that's more on art direction than on, on uh, Kieran Yanner, who's, who's done the piece the pieces for these. Because the art itself is great, I think. There were some people that when uh, we saw Gideon's Triumph were like, did he turn evil? Why does he look so evil? It is just strange artistic choices. So let's move on to uh, Sahili. Ah, uh, Sahili's card is so good too. As a blue-red mage... Let me tell you that Ral and Sahili both have excellent cards. Card is so busted. Artwork is so gorgeous. And I really like, uh, people have pointed out, that the alternate art copy artifact from MTGO, those butterflies are surrounding her in her artwork. And so that was a really nice detail. Card is great. The art is great. Everything about this. I just love it. So the next card is Jaya, Venerated Fire Mage. Another awesome, amazing card from an awesome, amazing, and the best character in Magic. And she also has Jaya's Greeting. The flavor text reads, We have visitors. Well, it would be rude not to give them a traditional Carol Keep welcome. Carol Keep, for anyone who has not been paying attention to Jaya's story, is the monastery that she founded where Chandra studied, and it is also very cool. And she has got the goggles on, so you know it means business. Okay, my actual real rant for the podcast is about Jaya, though. Go off, we're ready. Not really specifically about her card. A little bit about her art. And a little bit about this specifically the Jaya's greeting flavor text. Because she has another flavor text in the set that I think is better. <sighs> but I feel like Wizards has really dropped the ball with Jaya. They brought her back, um, they, they seeded in Magic Origins and then revealed in Dominaria that Jaya has been Mother Luti this whole time, and none of it feels like Jaya. Which is weird for someone who has been, like, the most popular flavor text character for almost the entirety of Magic's existence. And they've taken a character who's real spunky and um, exciting and has a distinct voice and made her a lot more bland, and, like, n no one can tell me what Jaya's motivation is, or what her character arc is. She is literally just a prop for Chandra, who replaced Jaya in Lorwyn for some reason, because they couldn't just use the Red Planeswalker they already had. And it's the point where I feel like someone said, hey, we could make Mother Luthi actually be Jaya, and hey, that's clever. But they've literally done nothing with it. They've given Chandra, an adult, so many moms that have told her to be better, but she never actually gets better, and none of it is going anywhere. And it just... Everything about Jaya feels like a lost opportunity, and feels like... Like, like the only thing about her visually that connects her to her card from Time Spiral is the goggles. Like, that's it. It, there was so much potential for bringing Jaya back into Magic because she was one of the few Planeswalkers who people like and is still alive. And uh, I, I cannot help but feeling like everything they've tried to do with her has just failed miserably. And like I'm, I'm hoping they can course correct sometime in the future. I don't know. Like we'll see what happens with. You know, I haven't read. Um, the War of the Spark novel yet, so so I don't I don't know how she's gonna get treated there. 
Uh, Jay, hopefully you had some good notes. But, like, I'm not holding my breath for them writing a good Jaya. I'll also chime in that I think it's a little bit tied to how many times we've had to reboot Chandra's emotional growth, like the purifying fire and her becoming a more controlled person, and then Kaladesh, where she became a more controlled person, and then Dominaria, where she had to become a more controlled person, and it's a little tiring to have to do that, and two of those, well, one of those in fairness, the last one with Dominaria, was entirely focused around Jaya's training, and so they only seem to have a limited number of stories they want to tell with Chandra or are willing to tell with Chandra and it gets a little difficult um I think the comic kind of departs from that but a lot of that is the result of things that we haven't seen yet in War of the Spark so we can't really get a full gauge on how she has grown or if she has grown because the only reference point we have is like the disasters on Ravnica um, I want to add to this too, since it's kind of my pet issue, but I try not to talk about it too much because I try not to be too salty. I've kind of always felt like her and Carol Keep in general sort of been disappointing, because that is where Chandra has spent the past several years. She trained there, Mother Ludi basically raised her, and then we get Kaladesh and it's like, what is Carol Keep? I don't remember what that is at all. So that disappointed me, I feel like. She's, Chaya is supposed to be older and wiser now, which does make sense, but becoming older and wiser doesn't necessarily mean that you don't, you aren't funny anymore, and it's not like she has to be the most mature, wise person ever. There are very irresponsible and obnoxious elderly people, and it is also felt to me like they just decided that Mother Ludi is going to be her. In the Purifying Fire, uh, Mother Ludi is the responsible mother figure for Chandra. And it's supposed to be, like, very different from her in that she is older and wiser and she's responsible and she's, like, her voice of reason. And that Jaya is just not very much of a voice of reason in my mind. Yeah, what I'll say to wrap this up here is these are legitimate criticisms. I will say Dominaria didn't leave a terrible lot of room for characterization for Jaya, and it's a shame Jaya didn't get a story like Teferi got, but I think I would be excited and interested to see a story that is not already filled with 35 other planeswalkers uh, as the one where we can expand on, on Jaya a little bit more, whether or not she survives. Well, I, I, I will actually end it with saying, hey, Let's do a three-shot Jaya story like y'all did with Vivian and hire me to write it, Wizards. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, let's find out what she's been doing all that time. Okay, but for real, moving on to Karn the Great Creator, a character who has always been around and they've done a really good job with. I will write about it one day. But uh, So Karn is back, and they did a thing where... All Karn's abilities are references to the past of the character again. His static ability, where your opponents can't activate abilities of artifacts, references Nullrod, which is a part of Urza's legacy for some reason, because they've given Karn kind of legacy powers 
on his Karn Liberated card where he gets to exile permanence like the legacy weapon from um, the invasion block. It's neat to see them kind of mining that flavorful design space for the character again. And then his plus ability is his original mechanic from both Karn's Silver Golem and Karn's Touch, where he gets to turn artifacts, in, or non-creature artifacts, into artifact creatures. And um, kind of reifies his desire to be a force of creation and not destruction like Urza was. But also, as we know from Karn's history, he gets into trouble a lot because of that. And, and we've seen both the Murari and... Uh, Argentum go way off the rails. His ability to, um, and then his last ability references his card from Dominaria last year, uh, Scion of Urza, which got to dig through your deck and exile cards with silver counters and bring them back. So Scion of Urza was designed with those silver counters so that a second copy could get cards exiled by a first copy if the first copy got removed. But Karn the Great Creator can get them back too without having to use the silver counter mechanic or reference it. It's so brilliant. And and being able to get cards from outside of the game, which in a tournament setting means your sideboard, it, like, it just gives him the essence of a creator, which is really positive. And um, with his signature card, Karn's Bastion, he's like protecting people. And, and it's just wholesome is kind of the word I want to use. Um, but, but I think it's really telling of him as a character and his personality where his response to war, unlike Urza's, which was we're going to literally take every resource out of a plane to dump it into an attack and kill a bunch of people, Cardin's response is to protect as many innocents as he can, which is why everyone loves Karn, because he's not an asshole. I want to add Karn rocks. Karn does rock. Our last Planeswalker is Tamio, Collector of Tales. She's uh, blue-green now, which uh, she was banned in Eldritch Moon, and the white didn't make a whole lot of sense. She was only three colors because development tried to fit her into standard that way. Um, but it makes sense as, as a blue-green Planeswalker, or someone who studies um, but doesn't want to get too involved. But then there's the card, her signature spell, Tamio's Epiphany, where she has the Karn moment, which was the, hey, I can't sit back and be a non-interventionalist. I need to get involved in the war. Karn goes through this during the Frexian invasion where he's like, hey, if I'm a pacifist, all my friends are going to die. And then he realizes that it's okay to punch Frexians, and he does so, and kills a lot of them. Um, it, and then eventually kills all of them. So Tamio has this, hey, you know what? It actually is okay to punch Nazis moment, which good for her, because... She has a lot of very powerful magic, and it's good to see her on the right side of the war. All right, so that does it for the Planeswalkers we're going to cover today. Let's move on to everything else, starting with a bunch of our newly revealed legendary creatures. Tomic, Distinguished Advocist. So Tomic is a law mage in the Orzhov. Um, he is... All we know about him right now is what we got from the art book, which when uh, I read the Ravnica art book, I'm like, why does this guy get a whole blurb about him? Well, it's because he's getting a card in War of the Spark. Uh, he is a, a brilliant law mage. Uh, he's an advocate, a, a lawyer in the Orzhov, and uh, he's basically Tasa's protege, and Tasa's like the best lawyer that Ravnica's ever seen. He's like her executive assistant. Basically. 
And so, like, while while Tesa was imprisoned by the Obzadot, Tomic was the one who was secretly gathering information to keep Tesa up to date on what was happening in Ravnica. Super cool to see him get a card and, like, he fly, he rides a gargoyle. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool We we, we have <laughs> lots of um, aeronaut mounts on Ravnica. Um, the Azorias ride griffins, the Boros ride rocks, the Selesnia ride pegasuses. Tomek gets to ride a gargoyle, which is just so Orshav and, like, so creepy, but is, like, he seems like a good dude. Um... It's just, like, if you're going to set a world in this kind of high gothic Eastern European cityscape, riding gargoyles is, like, exactly where you want to be. So the next card we're going to talk about is Feather the Redeemed. She's the card that I was um, popping hard seltzer for at the beginning of the show, and we have wanted her to have a card forever, and now she's here, and me and everybody else in the world rejoiced. Because she's so great. So, we've talked about Feather before, but to sum up her backstory, basically, she was involved in all of the events of Original Ravnica, which we did a whole episode on. At the end of that, she became the Guildmaster of the Boros and was eventually deposed by Aurelia. And then eventually she was also, well, and she was imprisoned by Aurelia, and then she was eventually freed by Krenko, and we don't really know where she went from there. So I'm assuming we're going to find out. Her card also has the Parhelion 2 in the background. There is another card that has flavor text that indicates she is in command of the squadrons of angels on the Parhelion, at least during War of the Spark. So if you want to learn more about Feather, she is in episode 30 an abridged history of pre-mending Ravnica. We talk all about her. And it's very exciting that she still has four wings. Oh, yeah. And all of the other Boros angels that we have seen after the end of original Ravnica have had two. And even the other angels behind her Idnis card have two wings. So there's been a question for me and several other people as to whether or not that is retcon in the art direction and that we're just saying they have two wings now. But since we see... Very clearly, now that it's not retcon, so that is actually a thing. So that leaves the mystery as to why all of the new angels only have two wings, since they were created by Feather. Why did she do that? It's a mystery, and I'm going to lose sleep over it. Copy of a copy. (laughs) You say copy of a copy, and now I'm just thinking about the way people like save and resave and re-upload JPEGs and and the artifaction builds up. These are the crispiest angels. So, really, the (laughs) Boros angels should be artifact creatures. (laughs) So another card we got is the Parhelion 2. So the Parhelion 2 appears in a bunch of artwork for the set, including the aforementioned Feather. The original Parhelion was built by the angels from remnants left behind by planeswalkers, They boarded it in an attempt to find planeswalkers, but it wasn't an actual interplanar ship, so they just went to, like, the bounds of Ravnica's universe and couldn't find them. This is after the original guild pact fell apart. They all ended up getting killed in Agairam, slaughtered by a ghost Zadok and his forces. 
Zadek set the original Parhelion on a collision course into Prov, and then at the end of the story, after it crashed, uh, the heroes blew it up. So it leveled the original Prov, which is why we have new Prov. And also why we have a Parhelion 2. <laughs> yep. The new Parhelion is a two-part ship. It can split apart. It's in the Boros Ford, uh, I'm sorry, Boros Anvil style. The newest version of, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name. What's the white red Shockland? Sacred Foundry. The newest Sacred Foundry appears to have it sitting in the background, like parked on the background, probably accumulating a lot of parking tickets. And it can shoot out like laser beams. And I like the flavor of the card a lot that when it attacks, you put two angels, it deploys angels, uh, which is just so perfect. Karen's on StarCraft would approve. It also has like a Death Star laser in the middle. The big Boros insignia can focus sunlight and blast it at things, which is awesome. Also, Jay, it's very cute that you think cops would ever accumulate parking tickets. Well, the Azorius would ticket them. Aurelia and Feather both avoid being killed by the laser that uh, the Parhelion fires, as indicated on the card Solar Flare. Is, that, is it Solar Flare? I'm sorry. Yeah, Solar Blaze. Yeah, we can't have Solar Flare because Tien would come over and file for copyright infringement, I guess. Want to talk about Massacre Girl? I saw some people on Twitter did not know who she was and thought what a ridiculous name for a criminal to have. It is not ridiculous at all because Massacre Girl is a Rakdos, just general criminal, and she goes for the drama of it all, hence the name Massacre Girl. She seeks to thrill instead of just like she's not she's not a uh, sneak assassin like the Demir. She goes for the thrill and like I said the drama of it all and she is the number one on the Azorius 10 most wanted. She is a recurring character though she hasn't actually been in the story yet so she's another niche fandom favorite who finally got a real card. The next card is another fandom favorite, aka Ashley favorite, who finally got a card, Ilark the Razebore, who we have talked plenty about on the show before, but I'll sum it up. He is one of the he's one of the ghouls, old gods that they worship, and prophecy with him is that he will rise and destroy the city. So there you go. <laughs> it doesn't really leave much question as to why he would appear now. He's looking for mushrooms. He's gonna go hog wild. <laughs> really bringing home the bacon. <laughs> I really love that they filled the spot that would have been Hazaret with something like Ilharg, who was just kind of like an offhand flavor text mention in the original Return to Ravnica. So it was very cool that they brought the him back and in one of the previous episodes, I discussed whether or not he would be actually be a Nephilim. I'm kind of excited that he's an actual god and not just like a Nephilim so that the gruel beliefs were true. Their god was, you know, real because we talked about that, like how disappointing it would be for the gruel. If it turns out all their gods were really just like Nephilim. I mean, would they be disappointed? Because as long as it created chaos and started knocking things over... I don't think they'd be super upset if, if it's not exactly a bore. Speaking of disappointing, though, I think we have mentioned before that we are not fans, or at least I'm not fans of the theme of, like, the gods are actually bad or evil. 
So even though he turned out to be real, if he ends up just being on Bolas's side and having no redemption, though, not that he cares. But, you know, redemption in my eyes, or if he dies, then I'm gonna be a little sad. A lot sad. I am very interested to see which side he ends up taking, because it'll be very interesting to see what Domri actually does. He's on his own side. Well, no, I just want to see what he would actually do if Ilhar starts fighting the uh, Eternals as well. Like, would that bring about some kind of redemption arc for him, or what, like, I, I just, I'm really interested to see what happens, because he could just be destroy everything, sure, but it would be very interesting to see him take a side, kind of like what happened in the Invasion novels when the Keldons thought that the Twilight would bring all the Keldon heroes of old back to help fight in the apocalypse, but the, what's we call it, the, the, um, ah. The Necropolis? Yeah, the Necropolis, but it turns out that it was counter to everything that they thought, and they ended up having to kill their own ancestors. So it would be funny if um, Ilharg actually fights for Ravnica against what appears to be Domri's Apocalypse. Yep, Magic has done the our religion is actually about monsters thing way too often. And I like that Ilarg just gets to be Ilarg. And also, by the way, have the typeline legendary creature Borgod because that's awesome. Yep. <laughs> but it gets to be real because this set is also doing the our religion is actually monsters. But in a more colonial way because of Bolus's corruption. Because we know the Amonkhet gods were good and then Bolus made them monsters. Which brings us to our next card. God Eternal Bantu. Because as we mentioned earlier, the Planar Bridge, which Tezzeret specifically asked to be big enough to transport a Gear Hulk, and now we know why, um, has brought the four God Eternals to... Ravnica, and uh, as of right now, only two of them have been previewed, uh, God Eternal, Bonto and Ron Bantu, and Ronas, but Oketra and Kefnet are hopefully going to get previewed by the time you listen to this, and then we'll probably talk specifically about their cards next week. But uh, Bantu is great because it carries over Menace from her card from Amonkhet, and her ability, her ETB ability that lets you sack permanence to draw cards um, references her mechanic from that set also, where you could sacrifice creatures to scry, and then she could only attack or block if you sacrificed another creature this turn. So it is mechanically in line with what Bantu did, but now on this like big grand army scale, which I think plays into the God Eternal's roles as the... Um... God, there really isn't a military personnel analog for them. God, they're they're closer to like the Leviathans that the Chitari had in Avengers, in the first Avengers movie. Um, they're just like when the heroes think everything is going well for them, the portal opens again and something even worse comes out, and the God Eternals are the worst things. The other God Eternal that was revealed before this podcast started was. God Eternal Ronus. As we all know, Ronus was the first to fall, 
And I'm glad to finally see a piece of Ronus art that unequivocally shows he has legs. Because let me tell you, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a special time. So, in all seriousness, art directors, if you have a giant snake-like being, let us know whether or not they actually have legs, or if they have a long tail they slither on. That's just kind of a sneak preview of um, what continuity (laughs) consulting and continuity editing requires. I had no idea whether this was like discourse that had went on between tail believers and like leg believers i didn't know this was a very personal issue for you (laughs) me either it's it's hilarious though thank you jack wang for the uh invocation ronus because you can just barely see uh, like a the pale skin of a leg and that's the only (laughs) ronus artwork that gives a hint as to whether or not he has legs bonty's got some really really nice legs Absolutely not skipping leg day. We're not going to go into them individually, but we do like the cards band together, aid the fallen, goblin assault team that show guilds aligning along their color axes. It is, in some cases, or the, just all the guilds working together finally. It's very cool to see. 10th District Legionnaire, I did not realize until Doug Byer posted it. But it's the same character from 10th District Guard in Guilds of Ravnica, 10th District Veteran in Ravnica Allegiance. And it is the story of this guard who has worked their way up to the point where Tajik is fine with just dispatching them. And the quote on 10th District Legionnaire is, The 10th is under heavy attack, but it's being handled. I sent Maleva. I also want to announce my disdain for whichever flavor text writer or writers named a beast species a crunch for the cards Crunch Wrangler and Raging Crunch. <laughs> so good. Because it's so good, and I wish it was me who came up with it. And whoever you are, you are now my rival, and I will destroy you. Because <laughs> so I'm good. in maximum jealous right now. Naming a beast crunch. It's, it's, I don't know how no one has thought of it before. So the last cards I want to talk about are the non-legendary colored artifacts, Mizium Tank and Silent Submarine. I love, love, love Mizium Tank. It looks like something straight out of Mad Max. Uh, It's just a fantastic card. Very cool flavor. Silent Submarine in a vacuum, I'm okay with. But especially now that Lorelei has revealed to me that it is Gotengo from Final Wars. But a submarine in the midst of this giant land war seems a little off in the flavor. This is also is an Ixalan where there's a lot of high seas flavor. So having this one underwater vehicle there <laughs> doesn't quite work as well as it might in a set with a lot of water vehicles. Like it could have been an amphibious vehicle. Is this thing able to get through the rivers on Ravnica? Is it just for the deep uh, under ocean? And, like, if it's just for the deep under-ocean, like, what are they spying on? (laughs) Why not just recruit merfolk? But still, still, I love it because it is Gotengo, and I love the idea of it just emerging from the water and firing torpedoes on land. 
Okay, but in defense of Silent Submarine, which is an actual bullet point I wrote on our agenda, <laughs> we have confirmation from an one of the Uncharted Realm stories by uh, Brady Domermouth from the Return to Ravnica block called the Fathom Edict about the uh, Simic Rising that both the Izzet and the Demir had had contact with the Merfolk before they even emerged. They had known about them for years and had been trading secrets and helping them with some engineering stuff. So we know the Demir, um, who are implied to be the owners of the submarine because the front is vaguely their guild sigil. Um, and the Izzet, who probably <laughs> Just... built it for them. <laughs> like, if you're going to build a spy submarine, don't put your logo on it. Tell that to every cartoon villain ever. <laughs> guild activity is also greatly segregated. Like, we have, like, four different guilds that have cops. Come on. It's all the white ones. <laughs> of course the Demir are going to have their own spy network that they don't include the merfolk on. And you don't know that they're using this necessarily for war. The Demir could be shuttling civilians out of the war-torn areas to further districts with Zonots. Like, they could be doing a good job here. You don't know. Don't judge evil assassins by the cover. <laughs> Let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is I am so excited for all of you to finally see this Act 3 coming up this week, the week this podcast releases. Even my fellow cast members aren't entirely sure what's in store. And so I'm very excited and I'm very excited for all of you to check out our two free preview cards later this week. On what, Thursday? Thursday. Thursday is our free preview episode. It's very exciting. I'm very pumped for it. Um, I guess my final thought will be continuing to hype it because it's a neat episode. It's, it's going to be nice and short. I'm, I'm very happy for us. I'm very happy that they are the cards that were given to us. It is, it is very neat. And, and I hope every listener, listener out there is super excited. That is the last day of previews. We're going to know the whole War of the Spark set by the end of Thursday. So prepare yourselves. Brian. So my final thought is concerning the card Spark Double, which raises the question for me as to what is the nature of a spark? Is it something that makes Planeswalkers different to these Eternals that appear to be trying to crunch on some Planeswalker sparks and send them to Bolas through the air after devouring said spark? Or is it just another thing like an extra kidney or something that is easy to extract and easy to detect via smell or some other thing that's easy to duplicate via a an illusion of sorts by Jace. I guess it is quite that easy, but to me it feels like it shouldn't be. But I don't know, that's just me. I, I feel like even with the mending, having something be so easy to duplicate for things that are magically trained to search for them seems a little weird, but hey, I don't know. Maybe it's something that's explained in the story, so I guess I'll have to wait till April, Jay. <laughs> hey, Brian, while you're waiting, you could pet Calvin because he sounds like he really wants some pets right now. Oh, yeah, get them good scritches. 
No, he wanted to go downstairs and get water, so that's what he did. He's just using you. Yep. My final thought is, I am way more invested in this current story than I have been in the past few. It's not like I haven't liked the past few, I just haven't, the stakes haven't really been that high for me. I haven't been super personally invested. But now I'm like, what's gonna happen? Who's gonna be okay? What's gonna go down? And I can't wait to see how it plays out. Hi, Annie. Also, Annie's right here. My final thought is a throwback. We have had 63 Planeswalker cards between the masterpieces for each of the sets and War of the Spark, Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance, and all of the Planeswalker intro decks. Assuming we'll have 64 based on having two Planeswalker decks. And we are still missing four Planeswalker artworks from that goddamn poster. (laughs) (laughs) We are missing Grook, Karn, Jace, and Liliana. And the Jace and Liliana are definitely on Ravnica. I have no idea how any of this has happened. It is a plot greater than even Bolas could mastermind. If you are also super excited about this story, like clearly all of us are, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and support us on Patreon. Everyone who does gets access to our Discord community, where I am at the point where I am losing track of all the exciting conversations happening, uh, people talking about the set and the story and all kinds of things. I have not seen the Vorthos community this fired up about anything ever, <laughs> um, to, to put it bluntly. Um, we also have a couple other bonuses on there for uh, higher tiers. We have a monthly episode called Pull from the Deep, where we talk about some other topic that we wouldn't normally cover in a show um, in, in short little digestible ep- digestible episodes. And then we also do live listens of the podcast for our highest tier. So we record um, around 7 to 7.30 Eastern Time on Thursday nights. So if you donate at that tier, you can listen to our podcast as it's being recorded, get to hear it a little bit early uh, with us uh, before and after the shows, and uh, get to hear all the crap that we cut out. You know, like when Arjun interrupts. He's adorable. Or you could help feed Brian his final thoughts. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.